Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, and verse 19. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Well, it's good to be together this morning. I hope uh, that you are excited as we open God's word today and we study it together. I am incredibly thankful uh, to be here uh, this morning as we study a very powerful portion of scripture in the book of Philippians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, we have been in Philippians for quite some time. This is week nine of our series, um, and uh, we are going to finish it up this morning. But I want to start with a question. How many of you love, and, and I don't often say love, but, but, but in this instance I want to, how many of you love a nice, juicy steak? Is that like that's yeah that's something that's something we love um, you know when I when I first started really eating steak um, I ordered them how my family always ordered them I ordered it medium well that was just like that's just what we did like that's just how we ordered them um, at least at that point um, and I'll never forget when that changed I don't really remember who I was with uh, but whoever I was with. Uh, when I ordered the steak and I said, I want it medium well, they said, oh, no, you don't. Um, he'll take it medium rare. And I was like, you know, I don't know. Like, that seems a little brave. But he's like, just trust me. It's fine. Get the steak. And I did, and I ordered it, and I was a little nervous. And when I cut it open, like, like I promise, like, I heard moo as I opened, cut that steak open. Like, it was... It was, it, was, it was plenty red. And uh, that all changed, though, for me when I took that first bite. Like, it was like the heavens opened, and I heard a voice say, this is how steak is meant to be eaten. And for those of you that are a little nervous, let me tell you, it is 100% better. It's better. It just is. It's like a hundred percent doesn't do it. It's a thousand percent better. Trust me if you're worried about it. It's better. We like things that are better. We just do. Like, and, and in fact, culture teaches us to look for things that are better. In fact, they also say, culture says, that more is better, right? Like if you have one thing, two is better. Like we like better. And, and, and if I have $1, $2 has to be better. If I have one car, two cars has to be better. If I have one kid, then eight has to be better. Right, John? <laughs> If I have one wife, two 
is definitely not better. Like, that's, that's not better. That's just trouble right there. Um, in fact, there was, there was a seminary student that asked his professor, um, why did Solomon have 700 wives? And the, the professor thought for a moment and said, well, maybe because after a long day of work, uh, Solomon would come home and maybe find one of them that was in a good mood. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was just like, it's okay. For those of you ladies, you, you totally know that like more than one husband would not be better either. Like, like nothing would be done. You, you think that nothing gets done around the house sometimes when you have to remind him for three months. If you have two, like when you put two men together, like it, trouble comes. Um, in fact, I was, I was talking, uh, to somebody uh, just a couple weeks ago, and we were actually, uh, Ryan, we were, Troyer, Ryan Troyer, we were actually talking about your potato gun. And, and we presented the, uh, we were talking about sort of the difference between men and women, and I said, well, men get an idea in their head. It's like, what if I shoot this potato launcher at this thing? Like, what's going to happen? And I presented a scenario, and I could see, I could see the wheels turning in the men's, uh, in the men's eyes and in their minds. They were like, yeah, what, what would happen if we did that thing? You know, uh, but we're always taught that more is better. Um, Alina uh, spent some time. Uh, one of the things she loves to do is she loves to spend time with kids. She always says, I want to play with the kids. That's like her favorite thing to say is I want to play with the kids. And one day she got a chance to play with kids all day long. And towards the end of that day, she was getting really, really irritable. Like everything annoyed her. Everything that the others wanted to do, she got mad at. She spent so much time with them that she started getting irritable. So I just took her and I said, hey, you're going to spend 30 minutes with me. And you're just going to like have some quiet time. And uh, after, after about 30 minutes, she, she comes up to me and says, uh, it's okay, daddy. Uh, my not sad anymore. More isn't always better. And this morning, we're going to be talking about contentment. We're going to talk about this idea of contentment. And when we talk about more, like it, culture teaches us that more, more is better. And, and, and Ecclesiastes chapter 4 actually uh, says this great thing. It says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Today I want to talk about something that is better. And this other word that I just mentioned, contentment. So I'd like to start our study of Philippians with something we actually uh, talked about last week. John covered uh, this passage last week, but I think it has something to teach us this morning as we look at contentment as well. But before we do that, I want you to remember the situation uh, that the Apostle Paul was in. You know, he believed uh, that if he could get to Rome and preach the gospel, uh, that would just open the doorway for ministry around the world. And he eventually did make it to Rome, but not as a preacher, but as a prisoner. 
And through a series of events, this is what unfolded. He was under house arrest for 24 hours a day. And, and while at the moment, as he's, as he's in this prison, he pens the letter that we know now, we know now as the book of Philippians through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if there was anybody that could have been dealing with anxiety or discontentment, uh, it was Paul. Uh, He was a prisoner constantly uh, looking to an uncertain future. Uh, He had no idea what was going to happen, if he was even going to be alive and for how how long that was going to be. Would his life end early? And so I want to I want to read just a portion of scripture, like I said, we that we studied last week. But as we do that, like I said, we're closing out this sermon series on Philippians. I was wondering if we could stand in honor of God's word. Could we do that together? Could we stand as we read this portion of scripture in, in Philippians chapter four, um, starting in verse four? We, we will read this together. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the presence of God, which transcends All understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And some of you right now are facing decisions that are difficult, that are hard, and and, and you feel your mind racing, you feel angst, and, and you feel pressure, but most of all, you feel discontent. And But most of you would say, I'm not happy with with these circumstances. In verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. We pray, God, that as we present our requests to you. That you would open up heaven and give us peace that goes beyond our human ability to comprehend. Direct our steps, God, that we could please you in all that we do. And we pray this in the name of the one who gave it all, your son, Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. So as we think about contentment, I do think that we often think contentment looks like our circumstance. Like we have, we have circumstantial contentment. Depending on what's going on in my life, depending on what's happening, I'll be content. I, I think that as we, as we think about it, we want the better things. We want what's bigger, we want what's better, and we want more of it. Like, like maybe it's like, I want, I want that patio. 
for my house. And then, and then I will be content. I want that boat or that toy or that thing or that, or that whatever it is, and I will be content. Material or circumstantial. And maybe it's not material. Maybe it's like, if I would just be healed or if I would just, um, if I would just not be going through this trial, then I would be content. Circumstantial. True contentment, though, can't be circumstantial. It can't be based on what you have or what you're going through. And Paul reveals this to us um, in, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4. In verses 10 through 12, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And by the way, Paul is talking about um, a financial gift that the Philippians actually gave uh, to Paul. Um, and, and that's what he's talking about. Like, you showed your concern for me here. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need. And you're like, really? Like, Paul, like, you're not in need. You're in jail, man. You've had a difficult life. Paul could use some better circumstances. But then he says something really important. He says, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living um, in plenty or in want. See, it seems... Like there's something known here. That even if you got exactly what your heart desired, exactly what your heart is craving, even if you got exactly what you wanted, even if you're living in plenty or abundance, you still might not be content. And, and some of you really might not believe that. You're really thinking, if I'm just, if I just, get over this thing, if I just have this thing, I will be content. And Paul suggests, Paul suggests here, no, you wouldn't. You don't even know your own heart. That's not the case. But maybe you're still thinking, if, if, my, if, my, if my husband or if my wife or if my kids were just fixed, I would be content. If I have the bigger or the better thing, because we like better. We like it. Here's the thing. I used to be a notorious wish list maker. Like I used to um, always think that next big thing was going to bring me contentment. When I was in school, it was like when I graduate and I start working and making my own money, then I will be content. And when I got there, it was like, okay, well, it, it satisfied me for a little bit. But then it was like, well, once I get once I find someone and get married and start, um, start a family, then I will be content. And then I, then I got married, and then it was like, well, once I have a kid, once, once I have a kid. And, and when I was married, it, it, it did. It brought me some contentment for some time. But, but then, then I started longing for other things. It was like, when I have a kid, then I will be content. And then I had a kid. And I was content for a little bit. 
But then my heart moved on to the next thing. Well, when I have this thing or that thing, and, and it just goes on and on. One thing I've noticed about list making for, for more and for better, the list never shrinks, does it? Like it just, it just either stays the same or gets longer. Like it, like when you're wishing for better things or more things, the list never shrinks. It just gets bigger or stays the same. So what is contentment? Well, it's not, it's not hoping for the better things or more things. Because when we do that, it's, there's, the Bible calls it something. It actually calls it idolatry. Like when we take something made, or even an idea, and we place it on the throne of our hearts, in the place where God should sit... That's idolatry. Contentment isn't isn't placing those things there and getting them. It's not the better pay. It's not the better stuff. It's not more stuff. It's not even the ideas that you put in your head of like, like if I'm just not going through this trial, then I'll be content. That's That's not where contentment comes from. So what is contentment? What is it? Like maybe we need to define what contentment actually is. Because because the source of our contentment is deeper than our circumstances. So, So maybe we just need a definition of contentment. So we see this morning that discontentment comes... Um, from from us wanting better things or more things, or even wanting better circumstances. That's where discontentment comes from. So what is contentment? Well, let's start with what it's not. Contentment is not denial of pain. That is not what contentment is. Like, if you're in pain, you don't, you, I'm not asking you to be okay of the pain or deny it. I'm not asking you to walk over a bed of hot coals and say that it doesn't hurt. That's not what contentment is. Like if you're in pain, if you're sick, um, if, if there are circumstances like that, seek better. It's not contentment to say, you know what, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me. It's not a thing. That, that's denial of pain. That's not contentment. Furthermore, contentment It's not liking difficult circumstances. That's not what contentment is. It's not liking the trial that you're going through. It's not liking the hard thing in your life. It's not being okay with with hard things. Like, Like, I don't think God is asking us, when he asks us to be content, to be okay with the circumstances, even if they're difficult. He's just asking us uh, to look to him. And lastly, contentment is not accepting things for less than they ought to be. That is not what contentment is. You know, when I was in, when I was in school and I would, I would bring home my report card to my parents, there were often times that, that they, were, they were not happy. In fact, they were not content. They were discontent with my grades. Like that was, that was not, uh, that's not contentment to, 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 accept things for less than they ought to be. It should have been better. 
That's not what contentment is. We as Christians should not accept things for less than they ought to be. May we never be a church that settles for things than less than they ought to be. Paul displays this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I have already obtained it, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. May we never settle for a surface understanding of Christ. That's not what contentment is. It's not settling for things than they less ought to be. It's not a denial of the, of the pain that you're going through. And it isn't even liking the circumstances that you're in. So what is, so it, what is contentment? This contentment comes from our own idolatry, our desire for more and better in the place of God. True contentment is not based on material or circumstances. And contentment isn't liking difficult circumstances or painful circumstances. Like there is a holy discontentment. So what is contentment? Well, it's interesting uh, that the Greek word that is used for contentment here, um, autarkeia, uh, the same word that is used in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Here, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is asking the church to give uh, to a church in Jerusalem that's in need. But Paul knows that one of the reasons that people are not going to give is because they're going to be afraid that they're lacking in some way if they do. So Philippians chapter nine, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6, says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And there, here in verse 8, there is a promise that he gives to the concerned church members about uh, maybe not having all that they need. It says in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And it's interesting that the word all sufficiency there is the same word that he uses to talk about contentment, um, autarkeia. And and, and so basically, contentment is resting in the fact that God will supply All of my needs. (coughs) A true content follower of Christ will look at Philippians 4.19, which we just read, that Lakota read for us, and believe it to be true. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. A truly contented follower of Christ will say that even in my difficult circumstances... Even when things are hard and my need to feel loved and that that feeling that needs to be fulfilled will be fulfilled through the love of God in Christ Jesus. And my God will meet all of the needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. A Christian that is truly content 
will be able to look at Philippians 4.13 and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not, not how it's used often in our culture as Philippians 4.13 is, is seen as this, this superpower that we give to, to give us some energy. No, no, no. A truly content follower of Christ looks at Philippians 4.13 of, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and say that I may not like the things that I'm in. I may not like the suffering that I'm in. Or even look at their, their times of plenty. But they say, I can still do that because Christ will take care of me. He will strengthen me. And if I've lost you this morning... This is it right here. Is Christ enough? Is he enough for you? Is he enough for you even when you don't get the things that you want? The house that you want. The fixed wife, husband, or kid. Like even if you don't get those things, will you still say, Christ is enough for me? But maybe this morning you're thinking, Jeremy, I just, I just, I just want a better year than I had last year. I need better. I want better. And I don't offer you turn to Jesus And your life will be better. But I offer you this. Turn to Jesus because he is better than life. Jesus, in his divine love for us, in Philippians chapter 2, emptied himself and became a servant. He humbled himself to death on a cross and he rose from the grave and offered us life and now is seated at the right hand of God as the name above every name. Is Christ enough for you? Or are you still seeking better or more? C.S. Lewis had this great quote. And I hung it above my computer for a long time just because I constantly wanted to be reminded of this. It says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So three challenges as we close and we look at contentment. How do I learn? How do I learn to be more content? How can I say what Paul says that through that that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Number one, guard your mind. 
when you find yourself wanting more or wanting better, remember whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Pray, or number two, pray constantly. When a sea of hardship or even bitterness comes because you want more or better, you need to bring your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And number three, and most importantly, you need to trust God wholeheartedly. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, you are our shepherd. And we shall not lack. Father, even in the most difficult places in our life are like green meadows as long as you are there. And in the desert seasons of our journey and the drought-like conditions of our heart, Father, you quench our thirst with living water and give us peace that passes all understanding. Father, you, Father, you are enough for us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave it all for us. Amen.